Welcome back to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, where listeners can learn about leadership and other related qualities from today's most successful business people, coaches, and athletes, both former and current. At Talent 409, we help high school and collegiate athletes discover their talent altitude through workshops and seminars, while increasing their opportunities for success on and off the field. In addition to student-athletes, we work with coaches and administrators at the high school and collegiate level to enhance their education on how they can positively impact the performance of their teams and programs. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Talent409, and connect with me on Twitter at ColinTalent409. This podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Google Music Play, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and give it a five-star rating and review. Help us grow and keep the podcast content strong. These ratings really do help others find the show and consume the content, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, as well as being a loyal listener to the pod. This episode is brought to you by Sweat With Stod's Hit The Gym program. The new program that's great for people who go to the gym but are looking for a plan to follow. Hit the gym is one month of six workouts per week, three hit workouts, and three strength workouts designed to help you build strength and sculpt your body. This program comes as a downloadable PDF with supplemental videos that demo each move so you don't have to be an expert to do it. I personally do workouts created by Sweat With Stods, and you can do these workouts too by going to sweatwithstods.com and clicking on Hit The Gym. My listeners can also get a discount by entering the promo code CCP. Instead of $40, this program is only $30 when you use that code. What can you do with $30 in 30 days? This episode is also brought to you by Taylor Digital. Taylor Digital is a virtual design company that helps solopreneurs get established online with a cohesive image so they can feel more confident in their business. Taylor Digital offers branding, social media design, and Squarespace website design. Go to taylordigital.com to set up your free consultation today. Today's guest on the podcast is my good friend, Jake Champagne. Jake is an awesome dude, does a lot of great things with Brooks. He's running his own memorabilia company. He just recently ran the Chicago Marathon, became a dad over the last year. He's got some great stories about his journey growing up, playing sports, running in college, and now becoming a successful business person. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. I know I did while I was recording it. We are also going to do a contest. Jake has been generous enough through Brooks Running to provide a jacket. We're going to do the same thing we did for the previous contest. We're going to do it based on a five-star rating and review. It's got to be a five-star rating. You have to leave a review in order to qualify. If you've already left a five-star rating and review and you didn't win the previous contest, you are still eligible for this contest. So no need to write another review unless you want to up your chances for winning. And we would certainly appreciate the reviews. But get on Apple iTunes right now. Put in that five-star rating and review Give yourself a chance. We're going to do this drawing probably right around Christmas, if not right before. We're going to do this drawing for the jacket. If you've never worn specialty 
running clothing before or any type of specialty sports clothing before. It's awesome. It feels really good. It keeps you warm. It keeps you dry. It's really great. And we appreciate Jake and Brooks Running for helping us out with this podcast contest. Let's get into the pod episode. But first, let's get comfortable, sit back, and relax. We've got some more holiday cheer with Run DMC. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast I have on with me, Jake Champagne. Jake, welcome to the show. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, I can't believe it took so long for you to get me on, but uh, <laughs> happy to be here now. I had to, uh, I had to build up some equity with the audience. I wanted you to have, you know, uh, an audience to talk to versus just me listening. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy to be on, though, for real. You know, you and I, we've had some great moments the last few years, and uh, you know, I, I love. I love having these conversations with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I knew from my end that I wanted to have you on eventually at some point too, just from the conversations that we had in the past and you know the things that you're doing in, in your life with your businesses and your experiences with athletics. So I want to just dive right into this for the audience and give you an opportunity to walk us through that journey, what it looked like from when you started in athletics to basically how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly can rarely remember what my life was like without athletics. Um, growing up, some of my first memories were just growing up in the ball field, and my dad was coaching, and you know he'd work really long hours out in the refineries in Texas, and then you know come home, be home for five minutes, and we were on our way to the baseball practice field. So, you know, that's kind of where it all started for me is is just developing that like you know love for sports all of them. Um, I played baseball, ran track, did soccer, uh, played football, of course, because I lived in Texas. Uh, funny story about my, my love for football. It started and I was, I was probably about, gosh, 10 or 11 years old. And all of my friends were playing and it was Pop Warner League and you had to make a minimum weight. And I couldn't make that weight. So my dad and I tied ankle weights around my waist just so I could hit the, uh, the minimum weight to, to be able to play with my friends, which is hilarious now because <laughs> all of these parents are terrified of, uh, of their kids playing football. And my dad was, uh, was actually weighing me up to weigh in the, uh, in the higher division. But right. no, I, I've always loved sport. I personally believe in the rounding out of everybody with multiple sports, but I also, as a kid, remember walking in my dad's room and he had this, just this case on his wall of uh, some track medals he had won in high school. And it was kind of like that, that thing in the corner that every time I walked around, like I saw those medals and I was like, I don't know exactly what those are, but I want some of those one day. And and so like in my mind, that kind of always was there for me track. And and I don't know why I, I think later I figured out because, you know, I tried to do football. I tried to play baseball and, 
at some point, uh, my size became a, a detriment and, you know, I, I just knew I couldn't be what I wanted to be in those sports or what maybe my max potential could be if I, if I wasn't limited by size. So there came a point that I just got down the road that I, I knew track was my way to, to get where I needed to be. And, um, you know, I, it was my junior year, I think, of high school that I that I started focusing solely on track. You know, I, I think I also tasted my first real success there. Like, you don't, I, you know, I've listened to a couple of your shows, and like, the goal setting is is such a crazy thing in athletics. And you know, I think when you start playing baseball as a little kid, you, you know, you may have a goal of making an all star team, you may have a goal of playing shortstop for your team, but you know, it's crazy to watch those those goals both implode and grow. And like, you know, you get to a point that you 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 have to look back and and think like, I never thought this was possible. Like, I, I would th- this this goal that is there now is actually bigger than my mind could think at some point. And and I, that moment for me was my sophomore year in cross country. My high school team we went from being really really kind of bad my freshman year to being the 10th best team in the, in the state my sophomore year. And, and uh, you know, it was my first chance as well to, to become a leader. You know, I led the team that year with finishes. And, and I also learned that leading and results comes with a lot behind it as well. And, and the rest of the team, you know, had, sort of takes you and puts you up at this other position. And, and so, you know, that was my first real taste of success. And, kind of more came after that and, you know, became a state champion and then ran in college. And, you know, that's a whole nother set of, uh, of things. So that's kind of where my, my beginnings in sport were. So when you were in high school and you were trying to figure out the path that you want to take in athletics, if that's going to be part of the next phase in your career, you know, in college or whatever it is that you were going to do, and it seems like you came to the conclusion at some point, obviously, uh, and, and you mentioned this, maybe it was just because of your size, maybe there were other factors in it, but the other sports that you played, football, baseball, weren't going to be things that maybe you necessarily were going to compete at the highest level long-term in, but it seems like you still continue to play those sports and to you know, enjoy those sports and, and compete and do the best that you can without just completely giving them up and focusing on uh, track, uh, you know, solely yeah. and, and uh, specializing and exclusivity and things like that. What was the, was there a, a process or a thought process in your mind that said, you know, that there's going to be a, a benefit to continuing to play or was it something that you look back now on and say, wow, I'm, I'm glad I continued to play because I learned this and that, which I would have never learned if I had just done, track and field and, and, you know, running and, and things like that. Was there any thought that went into that? Yeah. I mean, I, again, I tasted my first, like what I felt was big success and cross country. And I was still playing at the time football, uh, and soccer, uh, at high school level. So, you know, what I learned was that I wasn't, I, again, in cross country, I was kind of elevated into this leadership position. And then the other two sports I weren't. You know, like I wasn't a leader in those other two sports. I was, I was a guy on the team and, um, and I wasn't the best and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the biggest. I was, I might've been the fastest, but that was only a, a small part of it. 
And I, I think what I learned by doing those other sports was like what I was looking for in a leader um, on those teams and, and what I needed the leaders to be. And, and, you know, if I messed up, like I needed that, that guy to pick me up and, uh, and tell me like, we'll, we'll get it next time or coach me up a little bit, you know, cause you, you can get a lot out of your coaches, but man, when your peers start to have that active role and developing you, it, it goes a lot farther, I think. Um, so, you know, I think that's one thing that I definitely learned and, and appreciated as I continued to play those sports was like looking to those leaders and like, how, how am I going to take that to my, you know, quote unquote main sport and, uh, and, and make me more a more effective leader for my team. That's really awesome. And uh, I can definitely relate as well, playing multiple sports and uh, growing up. And, and I kind of did the same thing where <laughs> I knew I wasn't the best player by any means. And maybe I was the fastest too. That that was probably the, the one common trait <laughs> that we had. But, uh, you know, I was really looking up to those other leaders and looking to them for advice and, and guidance and that leadership. And then I was taking that for me, it was baseball. That was my main sport. And I was trying to take that onto the baseball field and with my team and just translate everything. So uh, definitely a, a really cool concept that I think a lot of us can learn from, especially if we are still playing sports, we're in high school, even college, if you're playing you know, multiple sports, you get to the point then where you specialize, uh, you, you make the move towards college athletics. Tell us a little bit more about that journey, what you learned from it, uh, and where you're going from there. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first thing I would want to say to, to anybody listening that gets to go, you know, and, and I want to emphasize the word gets to go because it's a real, like, privilege to get to participate in college athletics. But one thing I don't think I did well enough was enjoy the recruiting process. Um, I knew nothing about it. I was actually a first-generation college student. My parents, neither one of them had the ability to go to college, and they both started working right out of high school. So, you know, I wish I would have enjoyed that process a little bit more and, and um, you know, appreciated getting the letters from schools and, and that kind of thing. Uh, I still have them to show my daughter as hopefully her motivation one day. But, you know, I, I look back, and I think that was a really cool thing, and, and I wish I would have enjoyed it more. But you know, getting to college probably has been, was one of the more difficult things to, to kind of endure as an athlete and as just a human because you, you go from this super comfortable setting where you're the best at every track meet that you show up to, to I actually went to a small Division two school called Adams State out of high school, and it's in the middle of nowhere, Colorado. Um, and so and everybody there was about running. And all of a sudden, everybody was as good as me or better. And boy, you want to talk about a shot to the ego and your confidence and kind of everything that you know. I mean, that that transition there was was crazy difficult. You know, it was really hard to to continue through it. Honestly, like I I found myself being miserable. I found myself skipping class. I became anemic because it was at altitude, and so everything I had no balance in my life. And everything kind of started to sort of spiral into a, into a place that I didn't want to be. And so, you know, I transferred back home and went to a school called Lamar University. And, you know, then I got the balance of sort of having my family back around me. And that, man, that, that rock right there, that, that steadied me and enabled me to, like, 
get back on track to where I, I wanted to go and help me be patient again. You know, I, I think college was, was awesome. Like I ended up having a really fun career and, you know, I was ended up being conference champion and Dean's list student. Like, you know, everything, it was just really hard to be patient during those first few years and learn what college is like. And, you know, again, it's, it's just tough to go from being the best person in your, in your state to every, every meet you compete in was, was essentially that meet over and over again. And there were, there were people much better than you at that level. So it, it kind of taught me a lot about, again, being patient and, and kind of persevering. If you could speak with collegiate level athletes now, based on your past experience and the things that you learned at that level, the pressures that come with it, the how everybody, it just kind of evens out as far as your talent level. You go, like you said, from being the best and all of a sudden you're surrounded by people that are just as good, if not better. Uh, and there's really not people that are usually worse than you are uh, at, at that level and everything. Yeah. What, what type of advice would you give them? Because, you know, we don't, obviously we don't want them to go through anything that's considered negative. We want them to enjoy the experience. We want them to have, you know, positive outcomes and things like that. But Adversity and challenges are part of life. They're part of sports, uh, too. What what would be like one big thing that you could say? Hey, it's it's going to be okay. You just have to be able to do this and be able to get to here. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, sort of coming in, you're not used to being the leader on the team either. I mean, that, that's another shot that you have to take almost, and you have to learn your role on the team. And um, you know, I I, I want to patience here because I think that that's like if you almost every college freshman has this like negative look on the term redshirting or and my and now I look back and it's like that was actually just a free year of college but like mm -hmm. you know redshirting isn't bad like it's it's an extra year to get to adapt to the environment and I think that's what you have to do is you just have to continue to to look for the leader on your team and ride that wave with them and adapt and, and listen to what they're going to tell you. And they've been through it. You know, they, they understand what you're going through and, and, uh, that connecting, connecting to that leader and to that group is, I mean, it, it was super valuable for me. We, we went through a coaching change and, and then a new kind of group came in and, and we formed this bond in this group that, I mean, all of us are still super close today. I mean, one of the kids, one of the guys on our team kid is my godson. We had, teammates from New Zealand that I still talk to all the time. So, you know, it, it was a great moment. And, and when, once you find that place in the group and like you develop that bond with your teammates, it really, it really becomes unbreakable. And that, that helps you through a lot of the adversity that you're going to face over the next few years. I don't have an exact number, but if I had to guess, I would say it's somewhere in the percentage of the nineties of, as you mentioned, freshmen who come in, and for whatever reason, they're just not ready to compete at that level yet. And this can be related to college athletics. This can be even related to the professional ranks. When someone comes in, they usually just don't make an impact right away. Like there's very rarely a LeBron James or a Saquon Barkley that just takes you know your breath away. And you're like, where did these guys come from? They're already totally built. They're just dominating and everything. And there's a lot of sports now, college football, for example, where they're increasing the amount of games that a red uh, freshman can play 
before they burn their red shirt status. And I wonder, you know, what your thoughts are on being able to make that something that happens across the board, especially in college athletics, where you can take those freshmen and still give them that really valuable time to compete and figure out, you know, where they need to work on things because practice is a whole different animal, obviously, than games are. And I think the this rule uh, specifically for college football is new this year. And I think a lot of schools are seeing the benefits of having some freshmen come in and being able to play more than the, I think it was two games uh, prior to the yeah. rule change and everything. And and I personally think it's a good rule change and it was, it would be something that I would like to see extended across the entirety of college athletics, because I do think that getting some of that real game time experience or competition or whatever you want to call it is maybe just as important as being patient and earning you know, your your way onto the team or your playing time or whatever it is. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, you know, I think there's there's so much value in redshirting and not burning that year of eligibility. One, because the scale of age of athletes can be so different. The development of somebody from the age 19 to or 18 to 20 is insane. I mean, just mentally, their their capacities to handle a lot of what they're going through and physically. But, you know, I, I have down here, like one of my favorite things about training and racing was that the race was always the reward and the competition is the reward. And if you rob kids from the competition, they're just much more likely to, to be out of it and just go down and out and, and lose their way and that's again that's where I kind of was my red shirt year of cross country when I went to Colorado like I didn't have the race so everything kind of suffered and and I was there for the race but I wasn't racing so it was a it was a huge mental barrier to have to get over and and um you know I think that they, if they do roll that out they'll they'll see success not only on the field or on the track or wherever but I, I think they'd see it in the classroom as well yeah, I think that's definitely a really good point that it would extend not only to the competition in athletics, but it would extend to everything else in life because I'm in total agreement. And I think that's a huge part of the message. I mean, it's it's a huge part of the message that we try to get across at Talent 409. And I think it's just a really important thing to understand that, you know, everything's related in some way or another. And, you know, we're, we're learning on the athletic field, we're learning in life and we're taking these things and we're combining them together. So I can definitely see a lot of value out of that as well. So you get to the point then obviously finish up your college career, you're moving on to the business world. And I know just from knowing you personally, that much like everyone else in, in life, you didn't really take a straight line towards quote unquote success. Uh, you know, there was uh, a lot of different things that you tried throughout the years. There were some good times, some you know, challenging times. Tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to being a multiple uh, business owner. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the toughest parts was my, my fifth year of track. I actually had a sports hernia and, and had to go through surgery. And so my career almost just it really took an abrupt ending and I was nearing graduation and as most college athletes, like I, I sort of never looked up from the track. You know, I, I, I was great in school. I was great. You know, I was, my family life was awesome. Like everything was going well. I was conference champion on the track, but 
I, I didn't know what was next. And all of a sudden, like I was, I was really kind of terrified. And I realized at that moment that almost all college athletes are in that boat. They know what they know. Most of them kind of run with a kinesiology degree and, and end up like just going down a path that they think they're supposed to. And I remember thinking like, I, that's not exactly what I want. I, I like I had started doing some retail and uh, working in the retail world and, and in the business world. And I just had my eye on something different once I was able to like get over the initial shock of not being able to compete. And, um, you know, I just had to ask myself what was next. And, and I think more college athletes should do that as they're getting to the end of, of their college career. I mean, it's just, especially in track, it's almost impossible to make it as in a, uh, make a living out of it. Even the pro athletes, most of them are living below the poverty level. So it just is not a very realistic goal all the time. Dream big, but, you know, also know your limitations. So, you know, I just found myself reaching out, doing the career fairs, like that whole, that whole deal. But uh, in the end, I, I knew I wanted to work in the, in, in the industry that I knew I would love. And, and, I, and I wanted to work in something that I knew I was passionate about. And, you know, not everybody's like that with, with retail, for, for example. But I knew that retail could get me working and, and running again. I always wanted to be in the running industry. I always wanted to be on the brand side. And so, you know, I, I reached out to a mentor of mine that worked at Finish Line at the time. And California was kind of blowing up out there with, with Finish Line stores. And so um, I fast-tracked through kind of this management program with them and learned a ton because I moved off by myself again in California. And, um, you know, it wasn't always easy. But, you know, there's just like a, a huge – level of independency that came with that and you know again a, a career sort of defining moment for me was just like realizing that I was now responsible for all, all of these young kids that I was hiring and like I, that kind of take took on a new passion for me and it was developing young talent like I always had a role as I became a manager and it was just like make make the people around you better than you like the best thing in my life is to see somebody that I've, I've had an impact on surpass what I'm doing. I mean, I think so many um, professionals and, and young professionals are challenged with that right now. Like the old hat or the old uh, manager in the room, they're threatened by the young people. And, and I think more that needs to kind of reverse a lot. And like, that's a huge opportunity for most organizations is for those young people to become better than the older people. California took you to some other places after that. You've been, I feel like, all around yeah. the, the country. Uh, so, uh, you know, yeah. you, 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 you knew what you wanted. So I guess before we get too far into, into that, I want to go back to when you were making that transition out of college and into the working world. And I don't know if it was a, an intuition or if you had people that pushing you to have those discussions or to start really thinking about that? Because let's be honest, we all get to that point. If we're college athletes, we get to that point where whether it's right after college or if it's after we get an opportunity to play professionally, like we have to transition to the quote unquote civilian world, the business world, whatever it is. And a lot of us get that terrified feeling or that oh shit feeling. And it's because we it's not because we're, you know, not 
taking it seriously or we don't know that it's ahead of us, but we just really don't have the time. Uh, I'm sure that yeah. was part of you know your experience as well. When you were in school, it was you know practice, competition, school, homework, maybe somewhat of a social life. After that, there really wasn't time to do internships or to you know do any networking or anything like that. So, what was what was that process like? Can you just give us a little bit more detail? If it was more of an intuition thing, if you had people helping you along, how did you make that transition yeah. uh, so successful? Again, you know, I, I was. It's weird to say now, but I was blessed with an injury. You know, it it, it made me think about the transition, and um, fortunately. I stumbled into our career uh, counselor's office one day at, right after that surgery. And I mean, I had, I had taken classes on how to build a resume, but you just kind of used a template on Microsoft, basically. <laughs> that, that was how you did it. And so, um, you know, this lady was awesome. Her name is Miss, actually, Dr. Simpson now. Um, and, you know, she just, she was one of those resources that most college people don't even know exist. And, um, and I kind of, accidentally went through her office and she, uh, you know, she helped me learn how to interview and boy, I mean, that's such a difference maker. Cause I think like as athletes we're we have confidence, but when you have to go and take it and, and apply it into something different, you don't know how to do that. Um, you sort of get comfortable in your athletic world. And I, and I think that's what happens to a lot of athletes. They keep continuing to train simply because they don't, they don't know how to do what's next. They don't, maybe they don't have that person that, that is there saying like, Hey, like, what do you, what is your goal? What is your goal for 10 years from now? And, and I think it's so hard to look past the, the right now for a lot of athletes. And again, luckily I had an injury and, uh, you know, had surgery and, um, it kind of forced my hand a little bit, but she, you know, she really coached me up and learning the interview was probably the, the thing that got my career going because not only did I learn how to be an interviewee, but I also learned how to be the interviewer as well. And, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is, is anytime I've ever had an interview for a job, I've actually gotten the job. Yeah. Thanks you, to her. Yeah. You're, <laughs> uh, you're probably in the minority when it comes to that, but that just speaks to your ability. Like you said, to take those things that you learn, translate them to the business world and show that, that confidence that you had as an athlete, You've been able to apply it, but you were able to prove that in an interview setting and to hiring managers and different things like that. And I know that's that's an issue, not just for uh, college athletes. That's that's an issue, I think, for uh, college graduates in, in general uh, when they get to their you know entry level interviews and things like that. But you really do have much more value and experience than I think a lot of us realize. So just being able to apply that. So that's really cool that, you know, you were able to do that and obviously be successful. So we fast forward from there and we get to where you are now with Brooks, with Champagne Sports, doing a bunch of different things. You've had a daughter within uh, just about a year, over a year ago now uh, and, and everything. It's just been this journey that I think you saw uh, 10 years ago, like you said, but it maybe didn't happen right away, but you got here uh, and, and yeah. everything. So tell us about what that's like now and, you know, what your feelings are around that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been in the professional world now about 15 years. And, 
um, the best job I've ever had and will ever have is being a dad. Um, it's, it's the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, you learn, a, you learn a little bit about your own father when you, uh, when you have a kid. So I think that's one thing that everybody could and should look forward to, but you know, it has, it's been a, it's been a super fun ride over the last 10, 15 years. And professionally speaking, like Brooks, I started with Brooks 11 years ago as uh, what we call a tech rep, making about $35,000 a year living in Orange County, California. So um, <laughs> it was meager beginnings, to say the least. Um, but I, I knew, you know, it's kind of one of those things, almost like a minor league baseball player or whatever, that, you know, it's kind of the farm team of, of this industry. And, um, you know, if you put your few years in at that level, and not only do you learn a ton about business, but you make these personal and professional relationships. And I think if, if anybody knows me, they, I'm almost like Kevin Bacon, I guess, when it comes to degrees of separation, like <laughs> I hardly ever sit next to somebody on a plane or meet somebody at a, you know, at a restaurant or wherever. And there's not some kind of, um, connection there. And, and, Professionally, I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of is that just like I've always uh, thrived on connecting with people. And it's kind of cool where to look back and see all the people that you've met. And, you know, I worked for Brooks in Southern California, then Dallas and now in upstate New York. And, you know, I really uh, pride myself on maintaining those connections and um, staying close with people and because um, I value their opinion on not only my own personal life, but on what's going on with Brooks. And, you know, so personally I, I've gained in a, in a ton of ways, but as a brand as well, I've gotten to see Brooks just explode with growth. Um, when we, when I started with Brooks, I think we we're in somewhere short of $90 million company. And now we're looking at $700 million. So to be a part of a company that that's growing that fast. And uh, I feel like it's, it's really awesome. And, I'm lucky to be a part of it, but I also am not naive to think that I wasn't a part of that. And the people that, you know, have been, that are surrounded of me, that are surrounding me at Brooks as well. I mean, it almost feels like that when I started, we were that freshman year cross country team. And now we're like at, at the later, you know, years in my career with, with cross country where got a few good leaders in there you know, our CEO is incredible, but like, we're just this really great team now. Um, we operate on such a great level and it, it is so synonymous with, with a great team in sports. So, you know, it, it's been super fun and, and I'm really proud of, of everything we've accomplished. And, you know, I met my wife, Kathy, through the company as well. She was with our company and she and I just feed off of each other when it comes to, to business and, and working. We're both sales reps. Our daughter, Lana's destined to be something in the industry uh, but you know we, we've just had this awesome career and, and life that has fused together in almost every way and um, you know it's, it's created a, a wonderful spot for us to be in. One of the first times I met you Kathy and I were talking and she said something along the lines of Jake always wants to be around the good opportunities like he never wants to miss out on a good time, some something along those lines. And I think you kind of echoed that, you know, throughout some of your things that you were talking about in your journey, just 
taking advantage of opportunities, developing relationships, having a lot of pride in what you do. And that's why you seem to always be around success and fun and these different things. Do you think what she said to me that day, do you think there's validity in that? What, what do you think about that? 100%. You know, success and good times go hand in hand. They're not always going to be there, but they can always help you get through the adversity. You know, I, I, I do. I love, I love being right at the center of what's going on. And I always have, you know, like it's crazy growing up. I, I wouldn't say that I was the most confident when I was younger, but I think my size and everything had, had a lot to do with that. And then that, once I tasted that first bit of success um, on the track, it just ballooned my confidence. And then all of a sudden, like I did, I did want to be the leader. I did want to be the, the, the voice in the room that, you know, maybe, maybe some people are saying that you should go one way, but you really strongly believe you should go the other way. And to be able to like have that conversation and not avoid confrontation, like I think that's super valuable. And, and it's you know it's led to a lot of a lot of these things. And like I, the good times, <laughs> quote unquote, they follow, man. Like they they just they'll follow you if you um, if you like are the voice of reason and the and the voice of like you know that's not quite good enough. Like let, we can do a little bit better. Or you know in my industry, I think oftentimes I have to work with sort of old, I don't want to say old business minds, but not very progressive. And so, you know, as part of my job, I feel like it's always my job to reinvent myself for, for my accounts and for my coworkers to like, you know, create that next best thing so that success continues to follow you around. Because if you keep doing it the same way, at some point, it's going to get stale and uh, that it's not going to, it's not going to work the same way and success will follow somebody else. Yeah, I love that. Confidence, obviously, such a key trait to have both in athletics and in life. And it's just really cool to hear about, you know, it wasn't like you were always the most confident person. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. But you built up those muscles, you started to flex them a little bit more. And now you've gotten to the point where you are very confident in your abilities in business. You're very confident in your abilities to you know, be a good husband, be a good dad, and different things like that. So it's just really cool to see that journey come full circle. Yeah, I, one time I was probably a little overconfident. We, uh, we were going to the state championship in cross country, which is in the fall, the same as football season. And I sort of took a shot at our high school football team saying like, you know, like they're, they're okay, but we're, we're going to be top five in the state. <laughs> and, uh, I said that on the news and it didn't over too well. So sometimes you got to know your limitations on, you know, being that voice in the room. But, uh, you know, I had all these, you know, football players that were a foot and a half taller than me, um, asking me what I meant by that. So right. Sometimes, uh, dial it back a little bit. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you, you learn. It's it's a learning experience, but <laughs> uh, that's funny. So you talked about earlier in the episode, persistence, patience. Those are some of the big values I think you learned by playing sports. What are some of the other ones that you can think of uh, that you've been able to apply to your life now after sports that you learned on the athletic field during competition? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like one of the things that was cool was being a, a decent athlete early in my career. Like 
my sophomore year, there are still seniors on the team, right? Like, and they think that their way is always going to be best. So finding, you know, I don't know what the right word or the right, like, tagline is for it, but just finding the way to connect with those older classmen that your skill level may be as good as theirs, but you're not threatening to them. I, I think that was a big part of, like, you know, becoming a leader young was, like, really, really valuable to me. And I think that's still the case. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a sales rep that's now eight years in. I'm 36 years old, but there are sales reps that have been at Brooks for 40 years and are 60-plus years old. And, you know, sometimes our sales management, our sales management team wants me to suggest opportunity for these guys or, you know, maybe I have a practice that, isn't used everywhere else, but I'm sort of learning and, you know, maybe it's technology or something else to apply, but finding like that way of, of communicating with, um, with those other athletes and the other, you know, sales reps that are older than you and just overall, maybe, maybe communication is the right word. Cause I think that's something that in every facet of life, like I've had, a, I've had good coaches and bad coaches and Almost every time, the difference between a good coach and a, and the bad coach was their their and my ways of level of, of communication. So uh, I think that goes still today as well. Was there anything else when you identified what a good coach or what a bad coach looked like? Were there any other specific traits or specific things that they did that made them stand out to you and have kind of shaped the way that you like to lead now? Absolutely. Um, I'm a big why guy. Um, you know, there's, there's a great book and, it, and it's called Start With Why. But, you know, I, I firmly believe in the process, you know, not to go all 76ers on you, but <laughs> um, but I, my the bad leader that I once had, you know, she was I asked her one time why we were doing this certain workout. And it was surely because I it would have given me confidence in what we were doing. And how I was going to perform on the track later in that year or whatever. But, you know, she, she was a, because I said so, um, kind of coach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the best coaches in track and field lore, history, whatever, is a guy named Arthur Lydiard. And, uh, he coached a guy named La Severa and he coached all these like fantastic Olympic, Olympic champions. And, you know, he, he basically said, if you can, if your coach can't tell you why you're doing something, find yourself another coach. And so that, that's kind of been always been the difference between the good leaders and the bad leaders that I've come across is like the good ones want to tell you why they want to, they want to involve you in every part of that communication and every part of that process. And they know that that's how they get buy-in from you. Um, you know, that's how you have their back and they have yours. The bad ones roll with an iron fist, I guess. And, and they roll with kind of more of that authoritative figure, not necessarily, they're just looking for their own result. As a leader, and just because I know you personally, but you mentioned the Start With Why book, and I know you have a, a thirst to keep learning and to uh, learn from other people and to read. And there's a, a bunch of different books. You've recommended books to me. Where does that uh, curiosity come from to want to learn from others and to want to read these books and to better yourself, even though you've, as you mentioned, already tasted a fair amount of success. You can never be too good. I, I think that's kind of where I, where I always fall. Like 
as good as you are one day, like the next day, something might change in your life and your career and something. And if you don't have this, you know, insanely large support system and, and belief system and those kind of things, I, you're just not set up for success. You know, you're, you're going to fall back on your old habits every time. And the way of creating new habits is to constantly learn. Um, and, and I've evolved, you know, like I haven't always been the same person and a book may just be an idea. I think a lot of times you can read everything you want, but you have to implement them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've learned from a couple of good mentors of mine. Like one of my favorites is, uh, he's our director of marketing now. His name's Matt Weiss, but he ran North Carolina. You know, he's had this sort of similar path through his career. And like that, that's always been his thing too, is like, he's just, he's always like, finding new ways to be successful and there's not one way to be it. There's not one path. There's not one, you know, road to take and there's not one simple piece of advice to give to people. So because I know that that's where I continue to go out and look for more. And I I, I don't know, like it, again, you're going to learn your own way almost just like being a dad too. Like when I, when I knew I was going to become a dad, I was terrified a little bit and excited and and I didn't know what to do with it. And so the first place I went was to books and, uh, you know, it just gave me that added bit of confidence. Like, okay, you're, you've got this part. It may not go exactly like that, but you know that that's what's going on with the kid. And, um, and the same, and it's the same with, you know, leadership, the same with charitable donations. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're looking at. Like, you know, they're, there always needs to be a thirst for knowledge. Break this down for me in a little bit more detail, because I think you made a really interesting point about what you learn when you read a book or when you get advice from a mentor or from a coach. And this happens in athletics when you're learning a new skill, you know, you're on the, for example, you're hitting off the tee and you're trying to hit the ball to right field and take an inside out swing or something like that. And it's a totally different swing than your normal swing. And in business, it may be you have this uh, sales process that you're tweaking and trying to work out and your mentor gave you this advice. What's the, what's the process for you for taking what you learn and actually applying it to what you do? Because I do, I do agree that I think a lot of us, we read a ton, we listen to a ton of advice, and we have all these thoughts and all these ideas, but then we never take any action with them. So help us get to that action point where we're actually implementing what we learn. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you don't take everything so literal a lot of times, you know, that like right now I'm listening to a book called Astro Ball. I grew up in Houston, big Astros fan, sort of about the way that the Astros came about and like you'd never think that, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't think that it applied to your life. You just think it's about the Houston Astros, but mm-hmm. one of their, you know, analytics guys named Sig and he, he's talking about coaching his stepson to his, his stepson had one goal and it was to make the high school baseball team. And he wasn't very good. Um, but in little league, they tell you pretty much choke up and swing away. Like anything close to the strike zone, you swing away. And, he sort of honed him in on instead of swinging away at every strike, swing at the really good pitches. Chances are in your at bat, you're going to get something that's not on the outside corners and it's going to be really good. 
So to me, when I listen to that, that's not applying to baseball. That's applying to business where you have some people that maybe don't appreciate everything that you have to offer to them, but then you have other accounts or you know prospects or whatever it might be that are right in the wheelhouse, and that's where you need to spend your time. That's where you need to like cue in on um, you know tee up everything that you can get going towards that account, and that's where you're going to see the growth. So you know that's like a sort of a direct example, but that's how I try to apply things that I'm learning out of books and. You know, in my personal life as well, you know, I, I've talked to you a, a lot about a couple of books, but one of them that I read is is um, is The Give and Take. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I learned from that is like, you know, somebody not, might not always be watching, but, you know, we have a lot to offer. And if you can give without asking back, oftentimes it's going to reciprocate itself in such a phenomenal way. And so, you know, personally, I developed a role and you know, hopefully you don't have millions of podcast uh, followers that have charities. But if somebody <laughs> has enough in their heart to uh, to ask me for something for a charity, I should have enough in my heart to to reciprocate and offer back to them with with a donation. And you know, that's that's another like just sort of philosophical way that that I've implemented something in my life from a book. But um, you know, those are two ways that I maybe it's not a process, but it's it's sort of direct examples how I try to implement that I that I've learned give and take awesome book I've read it myself have from your recommendation I would definitely recommend it to the audience as well and Adam Grant in particular is just a really good follow he has some podcasts he's on Twitter he's such a smart bright dude that you can learn so much from. So definitely take a look more into him and to that book. And I think that's really awesome. Uh, you know, being just what I learned from the book and just knowing you as a person and everything and seeing you apply those, uh, those attributes that make you a giver versus a taker. Uh, we can all really, I think, learn a lot. This being, you know, the holiday season, it comes to the forefront a little bit more, but I think just throughout the years and, throughout our days, we can be a a little bit more uh, cognizant to all that. So that's really awesome. I got a couple more things here before I let you go. You mentioned, you know, having influence from a couple different people, uh, including the doc at your school, your family in general, your parents, Kathy, and things like that. If you had to pick one other influencer that you want to highlight who's really helped shape who you are and why you are happy and successful in your own life? Or was that through athletics? Who would that person be? Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, it, it really is hard to, to narrow down one. Uh, you know, I, it's almost like you have ideals. And, and like my dad, I always assimilate with hard work. I mean, he just, he didn't make much, but he supported us. And he worked his butt off for that. And like, I, I sort of apply back, you know, when I think my day is hard or when, when I think I've maybe I've driven a thousand miles in a week for work or whatever, I'm like, that really wasn't that difficult compared to what, <laughs> what, what he had to do, you know? And, right. um, I, but I do, you know, and then you mentioned her, but I, I think my wife is probably my biggest, um, she's probably my biggest, uh, influencer. Um, I just watch how, I watch how she has grown and, you know, it's funny because you think I'm older than her. Like, I was established in my career a little bit more than her when, when we all started this. And, 
she would tell you probably that she followed me to Syracuse and took a job that she didn't necessarily want. But man, like she knows how to make the most out of a situation more than, than anybody I've ever seen. And now she's, I would say she's probably the top, you know, salesperson at her company and her company would, you know, you're doing a good job when the company would literally do anything to keep you. And, and even early in life, like I was sort of struggling cause I was, at a stall in my career and she I remember her telling me one thing and I'll never forget it as well as long as I live like as an employee it's not up to you to stay it's it's up to your employer to keep you and she lives that every day and um you know her company knows that too and, and her company is fighting tooth and nail not that they have to because she loved it there but she, she they will never let her go um, without a, a really hard fight and then not only that but man you talk about something that blows your mind away and it's it's watching your wife become a mother there's just she was an she was an athlete in school as well she she uh one of my favorite things was as we were talking about labor and how she was going through gonna go through uh contractions and everything she was like relating it to uh going through an interval workout on the track <laughs> uh, and, and you know like so that's just our lives are totally immersed in this but you know she is just such a, an adaptive loving uh incredible person and i i follow her through everything so yeah and i i could definitely echo that kathy definitely rocks so shout out to kathy when she listens to this she'll uh (laughs) she'll definitely enjoy that segment (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah. and uh so recently you had an opportunity to run your uh most recent marathon uh chicago something that was uh, close to your heart. I know for a number of uh, different reasons, tell us a little bit about that experience and maybe what you learned uh, from this competition versus, you know, when you were a little bit younger in college and in high school. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Cause that is something like I, I really um, wanted to talk about, I guess, is that, you know, be, being an athlete at the level that you are when you were younger, I mean, I, I listened to your, I listened to Seastod's podcast as well, and right afterwards I texted her. I was like, "Man, it's crazy how different your journey with athletics is than mine." Because I peaked when I was, you know, twenty something years old, and she's still kind of peaking in her athletic career. And you, you like have to reinvent the way that you're quote unquote successful with um, with athletics and what they mean to you as well. Like now. I mean, athletics is my outlet. I mean, running is, is an outlet and it's a way that I have fun and, and it's just a way of rounding me out, I guess. But, and that's what this marathon was too. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. This is, that was the only marathon I've done. So, um, you know, I was at a moment that I was like, you know, I don't, my kid is not going to get any younger. I'm not getting any younger. My time's never going to be more, you know, bountiful. So, you know, I thought, I'm going to do this. And I knew I also needed a little bit of extra motivation. And so I, I ended up signing up for a charity where if you raise $1,500, they basically cover your entry. And uh, I did it for the run for autism. My uh, shout out to my godson, Maddox. He's a sweet little dude. And, um, you know, he was diagnosed with uh, the spe- He was on the spectrum and, you know, autism awareness is something that's not identified all the time. And, kids sort of face all these hurdles unnecessarily because a lot of people think it's just behavior problems or whatever. But man, if you can catch that early in a kid, 
their life is significantly better, their parents' life are significantly better, their classmates learn more, you know, it's just, so I wanted to do something and, and, uh, and raise some awareness, but it also, you know, was a way to keep me on track for what I needed to do. And, you know, I think we ended up raising almost $3,000. Um, and, and, you know, I'm really proud of that. And, and the marathon itself, I loved every second of it. I didn't expect it. Uh, I beat Kevin Hart, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> but you know, like the training was incredible, you know, it, you sort of get, you find a group or train by yourself or however you want to do it. But, um, or you listen to talent 409 podcast on your run, but you know, I spend, I was spending three hours on Sunday mornings getting my long runs in. And, you know, you know, it's funny because I'm looking at the athlete that I once was, I, I don't know that I would have ever thought that I would have been proud of, of running 26 miles at 848 pace, you know, whereas in college, I could run, you know, a mile in 408 and five miles in 25 minutes, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's such a different thing. And, and, and you just have to find a different way to sort of be, be proud of that moment. But it was, it was a blast. And my favorite moment was when I got to mile 25 and, and my wife and daughter were there waiting for me and carried me home, you know, I was, it was just, it was perfect. Yeah. What, what a cool moment that must've been. And just an awesome realization on your part to adapt to what your circumstances are now and what you feel success is in terms of competition and how that's evolved throughout the years and everything. It's just really great perspective and, uh, you know, obviously awesome, really cool to, you'll be able to do that for your godson Maddox. And I'm sure, you know, even though he might not appreciate it as much right now, being younger, when he gets older, you'll have a a real appreciation for that. And that could be something that you bond with for the rest of your life. So definitely a really cool, uh, really cool thing for you to do. Yep. Love the little guy. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to give you some time here to get your plug in uh, at Champagne Sports Brooks, what you got going on uh, in the world, especially with the holidays uh, coming on upon us. So yeah, tell us what's going on in your world there. Yeah. Like I said, you know, Brooks is sort of on a little bit of what we would call a heater. Um, The product's really good. We're sort of at a spot now where specialty running stores are bread and butter we have over 30 percent market share um you know outpacing nike adidas asics you name it so uh it's a really fun time to be a part of this brand and um you know i just continue to try and reinvent invent myself for my accounts and and rework things we have we have some fun products hitting the market right now we have an old faithful shoe called the adrenaline that just updated but the most fun thing is we have this ugly sweater shoe that's available on saturday um, find your nearest retailer and ask them about it, but it's super dope. I mean, it's really funny. It's funny. It's got jingle bells on it, but, uh, you know, Brooks's tagline is, is run happy. And that's like, that really sort of fits my, the way that I live right now. And, um, you know, it's this super inclusive tagline and, uh, and I love it, but so that's going on with Brooks. Um, and then my brother and I are sort of venturing into something new where, Champagne Sports will also be a destination for um, buying, trading, and selling uh, sports memorabilia. So he and I are having a little bit of fun with that. Um, you know, we, we, he and I were immersed in sports our whole lives, and the professional athlete is still so, so intriguing to us. 
And, uh, you know, Colin and I, before we got on today, we're talking about, you know, social media and how it's sort of opened up the lives of professional athletes a little bit. And so, I, you know, I love like just being able to connect that and find my favorite athletes and other people's favorite athletes and, um, and just give them a way to, to feel like they're connected to them. So he and I are working on that more to come, but, um, we're having fun with it. Yeah, definitely. I know you've teased me a couple times with some sports memorabilia from my favorite athletes or teams that you've been coming across. So definitely have to keep an eye out for that. And uh, definitely the cool products, the ugly sweater shoe, that's, that is unique. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people heading to the internet to check that out, Google that and see what that looks like. Uh, but if anybody wants to get in touch with you, just to, uh, you know, make that connection or learn more, about what you do, where would you direct them? Yeah, you know, feel free to tag me on LinkedIn, uh, just my name, Jake Champagne. Um, I also am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Champagne Sports, C-H-M-P-A-G-N-E-S-P-R-T-S, so no O there. Um, so you can definitely find out what's going with going on with me and, and the brand and, uh, you know, like, like I said earlier in the podcast, I absolutely love connecting with people and I love helping to helping them get to where they want to go. So if I'm able to do that, fire it up. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll put that uh, Twitter handle in the show notes for everybody as well. So they can easily reference it there. Jake, I know we could probably talk forever. And uh, as I mentioned with some of the other guests, we'll definitely have to have you back on. Uh, at some point, because I know there are some things that we could get into a little bit more detail. But I really appreciate you taking some time here uh, to tell us a little bit about your journey and the things that you've learned uh, about your career and athletics and leadership. And uh, it's just been a real pleasure getting to talk to you today. Of course, man. Uh, it's always great sharing a story and uh, helping athletes find their way. So I I'm really proud of you for, for what you're doing here and uh, keep it rolling. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Jake for hopping on the pod today. That was a great conversation. I know I learned a lot, as I mentioned earlier, recording it, and I hope you had a lot of takeaways as well. And thanks again to Jake and Brooks Running for providing the jacket that we will be giving away during this podcast contest. So if you haven't done so already, get on that review. Go on Apple iTunes, leave that five-star rating and review, and make yourself eligible to win that jacket from Brooks. It's an awesome giveaway. And we appreciate the rating and the review here at Talent 409 on behalf of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. We have a few episodes left for the rest of the year, so keep an eye out for those. Thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the pod. And until next time, take it easy.
place to play your hand. 